should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, the first day of August. And August being one of those months where, uh, in some places across the country, it's the hottest month of the year. Uh, I I definitely grew up in a place where, you know, it, it hit like 110 degrees. It's Tuesday, so John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for letting me be on your show. Well, uh, so have you ever, ever lived in a place where it hit 110 degrees? Um, I grew up in northeastern Wisconsin, so it often would hit 110 degrees below zero. Is that what you mean? <laughs> no, not exactly. Um, all right, so yesterday I came in the studio and I put a show together. I actually replayed uh, the very cool show uh, from Commonwealth Club on how gay bars and their impact on gay history and the movement, so I really enjoyed that program. But I had mentioned, you know, I woke up like thinking, so has the world ended yet? Uh, I don't know if you do that. No, I usually figure if I'm able to wake up, the world has not ended. <laughs> oh, it's such an interesting time um, politically. I think that people are reacting in a lot of ways to the current leadership of the country as well as just um, the, reacting to the news. I mean, the news is just not fun anymore. Oh, come on. Yesterday was fun. Yes, when you saw the big headline about Scaramucci being fired 10 days after he started his job, you giggled a little. I did. I was like, I bet my mom could be the White House uh, communications director at this point. Yeah, maybe they'll just kind of swap them in and out every week or so. Everyone could be a communications director for one week. Well, let's uh, definitely talk about what's going on at the White House. But in the second half of the show, I have so much to talk to you. Uh, it seems like, you know, it, it's, it's only been like five days or so since we last spoke yeah, but so much birthday. has happened and so john and i will talk about politics in the second half of the program but in the first half something happened in the in radio world and i've been waiting like 10 years to talk about this but um i i didn't really know how to articulate it and and i didn't want to i don't know maybe i was afraid of being the person to call out uh, the culture of radio, and when I say radio, I'm talking about terrestrial radio. I mean, there's only so many companies uh, around that own, you know, a ton of the radio stations. But at the same time, when it comes to like radio personalities, disc jockeys, and uh, talk radio hosts in Radio Land, it hasn't always been, or I should say, I, I should really emphatically say that it hasn't been 
LGBTQ friendly. And so there was an article that came out, um, many articles actually, in which an activist had stood up to a very popular talk show host, or I should say radio personality, and he goes by Charlemagne the God from The Breakfast Club. And this is a super, again, a super popular station in New York and one of the most successful morning shows uh, all of uh, Radioland has to offer. Um and still relevant, which is important these days, especially because people are listening to several other things. Um, but but that's what we're going to talk about in the first half is just kind of the environment of Radio Land, something that happened, something horrible, and it affects and impacts the transgender community. So let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So I mentioned Charlemagne the God, and he's part of a show called The Breakfast Club. Well, they had interviewed Janet Mock, who is, uh, for you know many people who tune into the program, know who Janet Mock is, a transgender activist and also editor from People Magazine and has a new book out and talking about her journey as a transgender activist. Um, but uh, shortly after the interview, the show invited a comedian on who goes by the name of Lil Duvall. And this person uh, was asked a question about Trump's ban on transgender military service members, which I don't even understand the nature of that question and why you would ask a comedian that because it's not like he's some military official, but whatever. Uh, but they go on to talk about uh, transgender women in a really, really horrific way, basically uh, to the point of even inciting violence and murder against a transgender woman. And so we'll talk about that with our next guest who is on the phone with us, and that is Ashley Marie Preston, who is editor of A Magazine and also a trans activist. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So you, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just, oh no, you go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to mention that you were uh, at Politicon, which is MSNBC's big, you know, they tout as like the, the biggest conference that's nonpartisan or ways to get, um, you know, all the political activists together to talk about issues. But at this, this uh, at the Politicon is where you actually address Charlemagne the God, one of the hosts from the Breakfast Club. Uh, let's talk about, you know, the background, what happened from your, your perspective, and then basically why you stood up to Charlemagne the God. So interestingly enough, I was at Politicon because um, I heard that it was this space that was something like the Game of Thrones of politics, if you will, <laughs> or or if anybody remembers MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch, that's exactly what it was. And I went because I had a VIP pass and I was going to be in some of the green room spaces. And there were a couple of other problematic people there that I had business with, such as Tommy Lahren such as uh, Scotty Nell Hughes and Ann Coulter and these people that I wanted to confront for their problematic politics. Charlemagne the God was not on the menu at that point. Um, <laughs> I was not, I know that some years ago, back in 2013, there was a problematic interview with Sydney Starr, who's a transgender uh, personality and uh, dancer, and there was a whole scandal about her and Chingy allegedly um, having um, a relationship and so forth. And um, the Breakfast Club had her on the show and 
had some of the most inappropriate conversations. She was misgendered. She was sexualized. Just all of the things that we know today not to do because we've had so many conversations and so much um, dialogue around what trans identity is. Um, and I just kind of wrote The Breakfast Club off in the back of my mind as, you know, just something that um, panders to a very primitive <laughs> crowd. Um, and what happened was the morning that I was going to Politicon on Sunday, the last day, um, I received a, a text message from friend and co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Colors. And she was like, girl, did you see this, uh, this interview? And I was like, no, but I'm kind of in a rush and I have to like finish getting ready. And she's like, no, 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 no. Stop what you're doing. And I need for you to look at this. And so I take a look at the video and when I press play, um, I heard, um, those of all saying, you know, he this and that nigga doing his thing. And sorry if I use that language, but that was like the actual quotes. Like that's what he said. And, and I'm trying to figure out who he is and who, um, um, the N word is and who this is. And, and I look across the screen and, um, DJ Envy's holding up a book that Janet Mock wrote, uh, Surpassing Certainty. And Janet Mock had just been a guest on the show a week prior to that. And she was being Janet Mock, her eloquent, poised, articulate self. And she was very open and giving of herself to educate them and talk about the trans experience and tell them a little bit about where she's from. And so the first thing that was a red flag was that they were now using her as a prop to, to drive a little Duval into saying things that were transphobic that were going to drive up um, the ratings. It was almost like sensationalism. Like I felt like they used her, they dangled her in front of him, knowing as a comedian he was going to say something inappropriate, that he was going to say something insensitive, that he was going to say something that was going to really strip Janet of everything that she is, which is a wife, an author, an activist, a community, a beloved community member, all of those amazing things that make her powerful and a trailblazer, they diminished her. And I feel like that Charlemagne the God set her up for that. And there was a point in which the conversation turned dark, and he said, the question was posed, so if you had sex with a woman and if it was a guy, like, what would you? And he started talking about, she's going to have to die. I'd have to kill her. And at a time where we're already at 16 trans women of color who are murdered, primarily African-American, that is not a laughing matter. It is not something that you joke about. In fact, the 16th was murdered only days after that interview. This happened yesterday. Um, and I think that it's a part of a larger issue, which is that the cis hetero community, especially in hip hop culture, criminalizes trans identities by reinforcing the lie that we're sexual predators that are out to 
manipulate men into having sex with us. And it's that lie and manipulative rhetoric that leads to the murders of trans women. What was, uh, I hadn't, to be honest, I hadn't been aware of any of these folks before uh, this morning and I started reading up on this. What was uh, Janet Mock, how was she received when she was the guest? I mean, were they respectful to her or did they, you know, insult her on when she was the one in, in the studio? Great question. They were kind and they were understanding and there were some questions that were a little offbeat, but to be honest with you, um, that's a part of the education process, mm-hmm. kind of letting people know what is okay and what's not okay and kind of establishing those boundaries, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was what was so disturbing is that um, one of the major reasons why there is so much trauma and distrust within the transgender community is because the people that we open up to and allow ourselves to be vulnerable with often betray us. And that was an act of betrayal. Ashley, it was reported today, or actually, uh, Lil Duvall himself posted a photo of him with a smug look on his Twitter feed, uh, basically with the captions, um, you know, uh, they're waiting for an, an apology, and then it was like dot, dot, dot. So it sounds like he's not looking or to, he, he's not understanding, you know, what his comments mean and how horrific they are. He's not going to apologize. Who do we hold accountable? I mean, it goes back to your article, why addressing, yeah, Charlemagne the, the God is also uh, an important piece to this. Um, I think, so, I feel like we've identified why Charlemagne the God um, has responsibility because I feel like that Janet Mock never should have been brought up. Um, even as it, even with the discussion of trans people in the military and that really, I think that was a hot button topic, and it was it was it was baiting. Um, the reason why, um, and as far as Lil Duval, um, he definitely is not apologetic, and um, he's actually said worse than that. He's he's been misgendering and and like dragging the trans community and just really showing his entire ignorant self. Um, and I think that the people accountable for that. Um, would A, um, be iHeartRadio, iHeartMedia, WWPR-FM, um, the parent company, all of it, because of the simple fact that they have to set guidelines as to what's appropriate and what crosses the line on air. And to be honest, the Breakfast Club's brand has been built on exploiting its guests. And it's almost like the Jerry Springer of radio. And I know that Nicki Minaj had a conflict with them before. Even some of the, there's these girls on a TV show, um, I forgot the name of the show, but they they were just very inappropriate um, with them. And so women, anything about women, LGBTQ people, it's very um, heavily misogynistic. Um, and at the end of the day, Regardless of what they feel is better for their brand, the FCC does have guidelines. And so I have actually set out to file a formal complaint with the FCC um, about the content, conversation, and dialogue that's taking place on air. As far as um, 
and I'm actually also looking to find out what kind of legality we can explore around making sure we hold them accountable mm-hmm. for what's taking place and for reinforcing um, violence against trans people. And the other piece to that is that we're looking to not just hold them accountable, but any of their um, any of their sponsors, their supporters, their advertisers. Any like I know, for instance, that Charlemagne the God is going to be doing a show on MTV, and emails being sent out to Viacom. What are you going to do about this? What we want out of this, I know for me, I know there are are different players at the table. As for myself, what I hope to see come from this is that, A, we have some kind of roundtable discussion, not at the Breakfast Club, because we won't continue to allow them to profit off of, um, off of hate. <laughs> um, right. But have a conversation about what was problematic about what took place at the Breakfast Club in that interview, because there are many people that say, well, he actually said, no, that's a hate crime. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he spoke up. But then afterwards... They continue the conversation, and then when Lil Duval continued to misgender Janet, then Charlemagne was like, oh, it already got you, in reference to his comment that that Lil Duval didn't know if he had already slept with the trans woman because he said, after all, we are in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And he said, it already got you. So then he turned around, and the beautiful woman that sat next to him and educated him, he turned around and he misgendered her. And right. people aren't, they're only picking out the parts that they want to uh, recognize. Um, and so I think, I think that as far as that goes, we want that to take place so that there's accountability and that it's understood why it's not okay. I also think that there needs to be a formal apology to the transgender community. And as far as Lil Duval, to be honest, he's not even big enough where people even know who he is that way. (laughs) Um, And he's not really a comedian because comedians make people laugh and feel good. There's nothing feel good about hate, bigotry, and disgusting rhetoric. Right, right. Thank you so much for for bringing this up. And it's something that I've waited, you have no idea, like maybe a decade to talk about. Um, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about big major radio companies, the talk show hosts, the culture, and and stay on that discussion about accountability and how change needs to happen like right now. So stay with us, okay, Ashley? Thanks. Don't go, don't go away. We'll be right back right here on the Michelle Miao Show. The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook, and when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. 
It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on uh, this first day of August and this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. The Michelle Meow Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here as my co-host. And on the phone with us as our special guest is Ashley Marie Preston, who's the editor-in-chief of Wear Your Voice, a feminist magazine, and also a transgender activist. And we're talking about the issue of... uh, the Breakfast Club, which is a morning show on a popular New York radio station, and their hosts involved in a situation in which uh, their guests had made a comment that basically incites violence against transgender women and transgender women of color, uh, especially. And then, you know, here on the show, we've been reporting and talking about the importance of uh, creating platforms where we talk about transgender lives and the most marginalized within our communities and what we need to do to reduce the violence and the harm that these communities, uh, that that's a part of our community, faces. And so, Ashley, you know, right before the break, you had mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, who we hold accountable is is far greater than just the radio show hosts, as well as the guest himself, Charlotte, or I'm sorry, uh, Lil Duvall. Um, uh, but that, you know, the radio companies, the parent companies are also, uh, I'm going to use the word complicit. Uh, having yeah. worked for radio companies and alongside other LGBTQ people at these radio companies, Um, This word complicit means a lot to me because I have spent the last decade establishing relationships with other radio hosts who haven't really spoken up, even if they're part of the LGB community, working for some of the largest radio stations and even conservative talk radio uh, stations who air people like Rush Limbaugh or whatnot who shy away and say, you know, I, I don't want to get involved in the politics, you know, maybe because they don't want to lose their job or, um, you know, they've kind of are part of the anti-LGBTQ culture in which radio traditionally uh, provides. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on using the word complicit, why the time is actually now. It, it should have been 10 years ago that LGBTQ people within uh, companies or media companies stepped up and and talked about these issues, but why now eh, it, it's so important to to not be complicit? Um, I think more than anything, um, there are a number of reasons why people choose not to um, not to be mindful of the types of uh, content and conversations that take place on the air. However, the number one motivating uh, factor is money. 
It's all about the ratings. It's all about how many people they can get, how many uh, deals they can get from uh, advertisers. And, you know, it's a machine. And the thing is that what people, as someone who's in media myself, we often fail to realize that we have a social responsibility, especially when we're discussing marginalized people within America. We have a social responsibility to unpack that narrative responsibly. Um, and the thing is that um, I feel like we're at a, at a point in history where it used to be a time where it was, not that it was okay, but it was more of a laughing matter. People would have their opinions and laugh about it and joke about things, but now there is no joke. We have a dictator in office, and we're on the brink of conforming to a fascist a fascist society, and um, black people are still being murdered by law enforcement, and black trans women are still being killed, and people of immigrant experience are still being treated as second class, even though they pay their dues, and they're just trying to have a piece of the pie that all of us are promised, and there's just so many nasty, terrible things in the world, and so right now, we have to be very strategic about our about our messaging and um, the conversations that we're having. And people in media, radio, television, film, we have a platform, and we need to use it better. I have a question for you, and, and really, I guess for you and for Michelle, um, is there a way to work within these large organizations, these large media organizations, or is the solution to have alternative radio programs, alternative magazines, and, and websites? I'm glad you asked. Um, so GLAD has been around for over 40-something years, um, and they do a lot of work with um, LGBTQ representation in media and some of the conversation that it's had around our experiences and making sure that there is an accurate representation. Mm -hmm. Now, I feel like we're in the place in 2017 where – People's moral compass has somewhat evolved. They know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And because people still choose to pander to the bottom line dollar, um, I feel personally that we should have more independent and we should have more um, startup uh, media um, companies and platforms because one example of how successful that is is social media. Look at social media. So going back really quick to the protest, the, the demonstration that was, uh, we did at Politicon, I had my best friend <laughs> and my friend uh, Blossom, too, who also um, protested with me, pull out their camera phones and capture everything. Because what I realized is, although there were several cameras everywhere and this actually took place on MSNBC stage. So you have these heavy-duty pro cameras, and they're capturing all this footage. But in my mind, I've had enough experiences in media to know that they censor most things that are trans-specific, unless you're making a fool of yourself or you're tokenizing yourself. They don't always report accurately. And so what social media did, and to my surprise, all of these things that you're seeing in Rolling Stone magazine and the Daily Beast and Vice and Allure and all of the all of the places that that my video ended up, 
none of those videos were from mainstream media. Yeah. And had we not recorded it, that experience would have been lost. And the thing that's happened over and over and over again in history is that media has always given the story and the reality through the lens of cisgender hetero white men. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more to society than just that. That doesn't take away from their experiences or their opinions or their views. They have a right to those and they should, and those should be honored. However, there's so many other people that have a far different reality. And if we go back to independent media and we really build up these platforms and we allow people to tell their own story because no one can tell it better than they can, then we have a greater chance of representing our audiences much better than we're doing now. Yep. And that's why I'm glad to be at Wear Your Voice magazine because that's exactly what our mission is, is that we are creating space for marginalized people that have traditionally been silenced and honoring their experiences and celebrating it with them. Sue, I, I, I love everything that Ashley said. I mean, gosh, like I, I mentioned, I mean, I've been waiting for a long time to address this. And, and I myself uh, was complicit in the anti-LGBTQ uh, racist uh, structure of traditional radio or the radio industry. And, and being afraid was one of the reasons why I was complicit um, but, you know, in my experiences, you have program directors who absolutely support sensationalism. I've heard throughout my entire career really harmful comments from morning show hosts or like, you know, people like, uh, come on, uh, who's the curly hair dude, uh, Howard Stern? Everything about shock jock works with radio. <laughs> and <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the reality is that there aren't enough uh lgbtq authentic identities that are hired by these companies and if there's one or two you kind of get forced into the culture of being anti-lgbt and or racist um i'm gonna say and 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 there's not enough of those voices to overcome that power structure in my opinion, the radio uh, industry is declining in advertising sales. Their, uh, their presence in media in general, it, it, you know, their power has been reduced. There's no other, I guess, you, you can't necessarily rely on such a smaller number or do of dollars that come from advertising to justify being racist, being LG LGBTQ, anti-LGBTQ, and or hateful uh, when you have other mediums who are being much more successful in being authentic, such as podcasting, uh, if that makes a lot of sense. You know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, you're you're you have nothing to lose now. You've already lost a ton of money as far as market share and, and advertisers go. So if we can come after your advertisers, which we will, which people will. And it's been shown and it's been successful in the last oh, yeah. at, at least five years. You better get with the program that these shock jocks, those days are long gone. They're over. So to Ashley's well, point, yeah. Go ahead, Ashley. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, you know, the other piece about that is that the LGBTQ community is a $78 billion spending power. 
Mm-hmm. So the thing is that when you take a look at that, advertisers aren't ready to lose out on that piece of the pie. <laughs> so if enough people make noise and they put their, and they use social media to get their message out there because mainstream media is not going to cover it because they're tied up in the interest of all that, then they're definitely going to change the tune of how they're um, singing the things. Yeah, and 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 uh, shock jocks who are relying on this type of sensationalism in order to get people to listen, your numbers aren't going to represent what it used to a decade ago when people were tuning into radio. And so, in my opinion, it is uh, it would be my recommendation to get with the program and being racist, being anti LGBTQ, or being hateful, it does not equate dollar signs anymore. And I hope. The CEOs of these big radio companies that uh, comply with being this way or support this way of, you know, increasing traffic to their products, understand that and change that and actually hire in people who are going to make it better and more representational of America. And I feel John wants to jump in on this. I was just going to say it might or might not be uh, the future of radio, but it does get you to the White House. (laughs) I mean that seriously. I mean to, yeah. to say there's not a a market for mocking people, uh, for insulting and and you know pitting people against each other and laughing at people. Um, I, I wish that were true, but I'm not sure that's true. You have a point. You have a point, and we can go on and on. But I want to thank Ashley for being with us and for sharing the story yes. and for talking about this situation and educating uh, listeners out there that you know this isn't entertainment. This, these are people's lives, and if you're laughing with it. Uh, then you're wrong. You're being complicit. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Ashley Marie Preston, everyone. She's the editor-in-chief of Wear Your Voice. Please support Wear Your Voice. Don't go away when we come back. Uh, John and I will talk about politics. Jeez, I wonder what's happening in in our uh, political world. Nothing? Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go away. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on Progressive Voices. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. We spent the first half of the show talking about um, what I think Reed and John of Progressive Voices like to talk about, which is the you know, r traditional radio being a uh, dying medium, but starving for, you know, just to hold on to some element of it. Although they like to argue, they, as in the radio industry, that uh, radio reaches 97 to 99% of America. Uh, maybe, at, you know, if you're shopping at Walmart or you're at the dentist's office. It just means 98 or 99% <laughs> of Americans are in areas with radio coverage. That doesn't mean they're listening to it. <laughs> but, you know, uh, yeah, people's attention span has changed over time, especially now with social media and, and digital access to things like streaming or podcasting and, and all that stuff. I appreciate Progressive Voices being a platform for an opportunity to have authentic voices of the LGBTQ community as much as I appreciate you know programs like Commonwealth Club and what you guys do in open forum and discussion for people to think freely. Uh, I've never, ever been a fan of what traditional radio does with these morning shows. And, and honestly, I don't know how those guys go to bed at night and wake up and do it again. Like the all the money that you're making is basically on the backs of uh, you know on the backs of everyone else in in your community. Like you 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 almost have to be somebody else or or um, I guess in my opinion inhumane to wake up and do that. And that sounds really rough. That sounds it does like I'm being incredibly tough on all these talk show hosts, but you don't have a soul. Okay, I'm breaking my own studio now. You don't have a soul <laughs> if you can go to bed at night making fun of people. That's all I have to say, especially if making fun of people means you're inciting violence, fear, and hate, and making other people's lives less fruitful than yours. Um, moving on to the second half of the program, John Zipper hosts his own pro, uh, show here on Progressive Voices, which is week-to-week -week political roundtable talk. There's obviously a lot to talk about politically. In the last few days, uh, we have been able to at least breathe a temporary sigh of relief as far as the Affordable Health Care Act goes. Um, they, the uh, conservatives or Republican senators have not been successful in, in repealing Obamacare and coming up with something else. And also, the White House has been playing musical chairs with their, uh, I guess, with with jobs in in one of the positions being the White House communications director and this dude Scaramucci Scaramucci the mooch, the mooch. <laughs> uh, what do you think happened in ten days? Um, as as usual, we we are being told a false narrative, which is that when Scaramucci was there, we were talking about how, are we reading about how much he was you know 
equal, he was on the same wavelength as Donald Trump, you know. He reported directly to Donald Trump. He didn't even go through the former chief of staff. And, of course, the chief of staff's job is to restrict everyone who can see the president. Um, then once he's gone, we're here that, oh, well, President Trump was really disturbed by his, uh, you know, profane tirades and such of Scaramucci. What does seem to be happening is that uh, John Kelly, the new chief of staff, a uh, former Marine general, is actually instituting some sort of order there in the White House. Now, does that mean we'll end up with a, an actually uh, more functional White House? Is that good or bad? I bet that's another question, depending on where, where you stand. Well, I mean, I don't see how he's going to establish order when his boss is the one who's out of order. I think you're right. And, and what I've seen so far is that he does not, for example, control President Trump's Twitter account, which would be a laughable thing normally that you'd be talking about someone's Twitter account being, you know, particularly important. But that's what Donald Trump uses for, you know, major uh, policy issues such as the transgender and the military rule last Wednesday that, that took pretty much everybody by surprise. So um, there, there – but there are some – okay, so – Assuming all or most of our readers are not Donald Trump readers, listeners are not Donald Trump fans, um, there there are some things that may, might make them feel just a little bit better about Kelly. I mean, you know, generally uh, perhaps not thrilled about having uh, generals running the government, but um, Kelly apparently was considering resigning, reportedly, when uh, James Comey was fired. He called James Comey and uh, commiserated with him, and Comey apparently suggest, said, you know, no, don't resign, stay, you know, you need to be in there. Um, my personal belief, or my guess, let's say, is that John Kelly will stay in there until Trump undercuts him a couple times and embarrasses him, and then does what Donald Trump usually does, which is he tries to, <laughs> like a morning news crew, tries to shame the person publicly like he's doing with Jeff Sessions, like he's done with Steve Bannon, like he did with uh, Sean Spicer, like he did with Rince Priebus. And I don't think John Kelly will stand for that. I think he'll he'll go into Trump maybe the first time and say, don't ever do that again. And then when he does it again, John Kelly's going to say, you know what, I've got a really good pension. <laughs> and we'll go make use of it. Well, to follow up on that, I mean – my thoughts are, who's left for Donald Trump? Who wants to actually work with Donald Trump? I'll bet there's no shortage of people who would gladly do it. Really? Yeah. To work for a man? I mean, it's it's even uh, the madman can't work with the madman, if that makes sense. I mean, when we, we first saw the, his, his cabinet picks, we were like, oh, my gosh, who are these crazy people? And some of those people are gone. I mean, even uh, Conway uh, girl, Kellyanne Kelly Conway. Conway. It's been silenced or reduced to a, a certain level, right? Uh, I don't. Do you know the updates on Bannon? What his current position is, or if if he's still there? Well, he might be strengthened a little bit because he and uh, Rince Priebus, the previous chief of staff, of course, uh, you know, had their ways of kind of working around things. But Scaramucci apparently did not like Steve Bannon, so with Scaramucci out. Does that give Steve Bannon? Because, you know, Steve Bannon tends to like to do things behind the scenes. And what John Kelly certainly seems not to be willing to put up with is a showboater out there, you know, direct, 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 directing attention to themselves. So, um, you know, Bannon might just be one of those survivors who, 
you know, like cockroaches will be here after the nuclear war. Well, you know, let's talk about people who actually want to work with the president uh, or people who are standing up to him. So we saw in the most recent or the latest uh, senator Flake? votes. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, in regards to, you know, Obamacare and the yeah. Affordable uh, Health Care Act, it means you know, Senator McCain stayed true to his words and voted no. Uh, which a lot of people are arguing that it was his vote that sent the Republican, uh, you know, bill or the offer to repeal Obamacare down the drain. Um, I argue that there were other two, the other two Republican senators, a female one, Murkowski, Lisa Murkowski, yeah, and, and Susan Collins, Collins um, had a lot to do with that. They voted no across the way. You're starting to see Republicans is where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, stand up to the president, even Senator Murkowski from Alaska, not backing down, although the president had bullied her on Twitter and even made some potential threats to Alaska. Yeah, to Alaska. What are you, you know, have you had discussions about this or maybe some theories or predictions that the Republican Party or, or certain Republican legislators, politicians would eventually stand up to the president? I mean, I think we've talked about it a bit on this program from time to time. I think we are seeing it. Um, uh, and just right now I'm looking at uh, the computer with talkingpointsmemo.com. It's a great political site. Um, their big headline is GOP lawmakers warn Trump not to sabotage Obamacare. Um, the other is, of course, Jeff Flake, the uh, uh, senator from Republican senator from, I believe, Arizona, has a new book out. And Flake has never liked Trump. But this one is just kind of laying it flat out there uh, that, you know, Trump is wrong for the Republican Party. He's wrong for conservatism. He's, you know, it, it, this was a Faustian bargain that Republicans made in order in order to retain that power. Um, and so I, I, I think you're seeing that. I think John McCain, well, look, you know, all each of those three people, one vote they without them, and that thing would have been a 50-50 vote, and then uh, President Pence, Vice President Mike Pence would have cast the uh, deciding thing. I think Collins, Senators Collins and Murkowski do deserve the credit for being brave through this whole thing. Um, I forget which one of them it was, so I apologize for this, but there was a story I read that uh, one of them was being, you know, I think it was the Health and Human Services person, secretary, who called up and was trying to bully the, her into, uh, you know, voting for the thing, and she, of course, didn't. And then the article noted that she'll have the last laugh because she's on the committee that, uh, you know, that approves that, the Health and Human Services budget. That That's uh, Senator Murkowski. Murkowski, thank yeah. you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. so um, I, I think we're seeing that... Uh, uh, there is some backbone starting to form in uh, certain Republicans. And, and this, uh, this was, to really get back to your original question, this kind of was predicted in the sense that as long as Republicans in Congress thought that Trump would help them get what they wanted, they would be willing to kind of shut up and, and let him do his, his you know, sideshow stuff. Um, even in the House now, you're seeing the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, there are stories about uh, the moderate Republicans, which granted are on the right, but you know the the non-hardcore Republic conservatives Republicans, they're starting to use the same tactics that the Tea Party did, which was they're refusing to go along just to get a bill going and and have you know so they're causing trouble for House Speaker Paul Ryan. So um, a it's interesting, but b 
this is actually exactly what you would expect to see. Trump has no legislative victories to point to. Uh, the House Republicans are kind of devastated because they took a very risky political vote thinking that at least if it passed, yay, we've you know fulfilled our thing and we've got, you know, this will really help us. And instead, they all basically voted to take away a bunch of health care for their voters. That's primarily, I mean, not primarily, right. but heavily uh, red state uh, voters who are going to really suffer with the uh, if the ACA were repealed. And then they have nothing to do, show for it because the Senate, you know, thanks to Murkowski and Collins and, and uh, McCain, said no. So uh, expect 2018, I think Democrats and, and progressives and liberals in general can start to inch up their expectations of, of a good 2018 election cycle. Hmm. We'll talk about the Democratic Party, but I think for a different it, show. It, it's yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's the vehicle that will get you there right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about Ben Carson? Um, Is he still around? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going through the list of people that we were just horrified um, to learn of their appointment into such positions. I mean, he he was given the. Uh, well, what's his official title? Secretary of Housing and Urban uh, house, Development. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is a guy that at one point during the Republican primary campaign, uh, the president had implied that uh, Ben Carson might be a child molester. Um, where is he at now? I mean, there's there's talks of even some tension there and him being kind of like the... Uh, you know the 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 guy who backstabs the Republican Party. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I I, I don't know. It's it, it just sounds like a scene like we've mentioned here on the program many times, but like a scene out of the Real Housewives of something or some really bad reality show. Meanwhile, there are some really 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 important issues that are uh, we're talking about, such as healthcare, but also some foreign relations. Uh, let's go back to, to Russia and even North Korea. So the story that I saw today was that, uh, um, who was it who was saying that, oh, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator from one of the Carolinas, I forget which, um, said that uh, the Trump administration is prepared to go to war. They're planning it or talking about it or whatever over North Korea's uh, nuclear uh, program and, and their missile program, um, that certainly is going to rattle a lot of folks. <laughs> and Graham might have <laughs> intended that. I don't know. Uh, the The story that actually is is very big today that does again get to Russia is that uh, the Washington Post reported that President Trump, Donald Trump, the man who said he knew nothing about that infamous meeting between his son and an ever growing list of Russians who just all of whom seem to have certain ties to Russian intelligence agencies during the campaign, uh, that apparently President Trump himself was the one who dictated the initial misleading uh, response that then the, the Don Jr. had to you know, release. Um, so it's, oh, it's a, th that is what made yesterday and today interesting. You know, Don't you get tired? Going, tired? Yeah. I mean, cause just because, you know, your world is focused a lot on this, I, I, again, I'm going to say something that makes me sound my age and very ignorant, but I, I just never experienced anything like this. So my experience is right now with this current administration, although 
many Americans older than me will argue, man, it's been a shit show before. Um, this feels really, really, really bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a history buff. You, you have, uh, go back and read some of, of what Andrew Jackson was like and what he did, and, uh, you know, he was one racist uh, dude disruptor. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Richard Nixon, uh, arguably uh, a smart disruptor, but, uh, you know, the stuff that he was pulling in his administration. Um, yeah, politics is, is interesting. And then just to the more existential question that people sometimes have is like, what's happening to my country? And wait, I didn't think this kind of thing could happen here. Um, this kind of thing happens to every country, you know? And True. It's, it's a lot of stuff that kind of brought together. I, I suspect if Donald Trump had himself had not come along and taken a hold of this, you know, nationalist, populist thing, someone else would have. Because all it is, all politics is, is politicians kind of looking around and seeing, okay, there's a wave I can ride. That goes back to Richard Rorty's prediction. Uh, yeah, it does. Uh, which was a show we did a little while back and talking about Richard Rorty, um, and this philanthropist who, ha who had this idea, who had this thought that someone like a Donald Trump would come to power one day. We're going to take our last break. When we come back, John Zipper and I will give our final thoughts. The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook, and when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, August 1st. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us, and we're just winding down the show and talking about politics. John hosts his own show, week, the week-to-week uh, -week political roundtable talk that airs on Commonwealth Club and here on the Michelle Meow Show. Um, so I always like to check in with John. <laughs> so when is our country falling apart? It already is. Oh, well, it's always in a state of uh, vulnerability to uh, that. Let's just say that. You're right. Um, thank you for, for helping me keep perspective. But when we say things like it's possible uh, that the president supports going to war with a country like North Korea – considering the amount of headline news we have read in uh, the last few years that North Korea may have access to uh, nuclear weapons or, you know, really damaging missiles. Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I feel very afraid. How can, how can we not feel afraid, or is this all just uh, posturing? Um, it's, hopefully it's posturing. Um, I'll be honest. I have no idea what to do about North Korea. I mean, North Korea is a very, very freaky state, right? I mean, you're talking about a state, a government that would go and kidnap random people off Japanese beaches and, and bring them. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's truly a, a strange, strange place. Um, that said, uh, you're talking about a country that is genuinely, where its leaders are genuinely, truly paranoid. And, you know, s s 
meet someone on the street who's genuinely, genuinely paranoid and uh, uh, armed, <laughs> and just keep escalating your 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 fight with them. I, I'm not sure that can end well. Um, but I, it's not like if I were in the White House Situation Room, I could say, well, Mr. President, we should be following X Y Z policy. I I genuinely don't know what to do. Okay, so Commonwealth Club were producing, you know, uh, Donald Trump's 100 Days and just kind of following up and, and helping listeners and participants go through what it's like to live in Trump's America. Um, where are we at or if we're going to kind of – what might be your predictions for the next 100 days or the next few months? It's only August. It's only been six months or so since – Donald Trump has taken over mm-hmm. as president of the United States. Are we going to make it until the end of the year? Yes. Well, that's the short answer. I mean, that is the short answer. Of course, answer. we'll make it until the end of the year. Of course, we'll the make it until the end of the year. The country will still be here. Year. You're seeing resistance increase, and I don't even just mean the you know hashtag resistance. I mean Republicans who are saying no, this is too much. Um, and I think these shocking developments are just. Are, they're just coming out even more now, you know, more often. Uh, today, I was talking earlier today. I was talking about the the article about uh, Donald Trump being involved in the uh, the misleading state legal state, you know, public statement about that Russia meeting. There's a lawsuit that's being reported today in which President Trump apparently is being accused of uh, okaying a a fake news story that Fox News put out about the death of a, a Democratic national committee staffer um you know you can only dig when you're donald trump you 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 go along you barrel along you hope to use that to impel people to do what you want or at least to get out of your way but when you're doing stuff as president that has legal ramifications and you have people of the caliber of let's say robert Mueller, you know on the other side those aren't things that were that you know that at some point they're just like oh well whatever we'll forget that we'll move on, that all gets very well cataloged and and investigated and and put where it'll be used at some point. I think I you know you, to go back to kind of the thing people were on the left were dreaming about in January and December. It's like well or January and February. It's like will he be impeached or something? Who knows? But um, I think we are seeing the continuing continuing uh, side lining of the of president trump and uh the buildup of all of his legal issues that that he to be honest brought on himself i also think that you know someone like jared kushner is incredibly dangerous he's got that baby face thing going for him or whatever that is um but he looks innocent to some degree does does that make sense well, to, to your first point, um, it reminds me, when I was in high school, uh, there was a murder case in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where I was growing up. And, uh, in fact, one of the lawyers was the husband of my English teacher. So we were all kind of following. This was kind of a juicy story. And the 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 alibi of the uh, suspect was, I don't recall what it was, but it was really something kind of far-fetched. And the lawyer's response, when asked about that, said, Look, it's got to be true because do you think he would make up something that stupid? 
And that's kind of what <laughs> you're being asked to do. It's like, well, we couldn't have done anything because we were so incompetent. <laughs> strategy. Another strategy. And then, you know, what do people respond with? See, you liberals just always think that there's a conspiracy. Yeah. Um, Com- which coming from Trump people is, is a rich accusation to make. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in here to Progressive Voices and listening to us uh, right here on the Michelle Miao shows where we provide authentic, fresh voices of the community and we talk about issues and topics that matter to us. We also strive to be as inclusive as possible. If you'd like to tune in to more podcasts, you can do that at michellemiao.com or you can head to commonwealthclub.org. Make sure to check out all of their programming, very diverse, very uh, I would say, you know, uh, as nonpartisan as can be during this resistance movement or this presidency. And make sure you tune in to John Zipper's week-to-week political roundtable talk right here on the Michelle Miao Show, Fridays, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow.